Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. It's been a while. We are finally cool enough cats that we can have a little bit of intro music for today's episode. Friends and neighbors, that was Muggles. As performed by Louis Armstrong and Co. Uh, hi, my name is Ben. My name is Noel. Uh, so we're doing a Harry Potter episode today, <laughs> right? <laughs> one one would think. One would think. But in fact, uh, we are doing something that involves what some people would call magic. Yeah, we're talking about uh, the reefer. <laughs> Right. The, the left the jazz cigarette. The gauge. The gauge, <laughs> which was uh, Mr. Armstrong's personal favorite slang mm-hmm. for uh, marijuana. And we, were, we have had so much fun researching this uh, legend that we were worried our, uh, you know, our better third and saving grace super producer Casey Pagram might actually get tired of us. But... Uh, while we while we have him in the studio still, uh, we are going to take advantage of that precious time. It's really cloudy, and it's like, you know, should we open a door? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, kidding. Don't, uh, don't engage uh, with drugs, kids. Don't engage with the gauge? Yes, don't gauge. Don't engage. You got there. Yeah, uh, you we're got there. It. We're you here. We're here. Oh, man. Yes, but our research was yeah. strictly academic for this. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, but, man, this is a cool story. There's a lot wrapped up in it, and mm. uh, uh, part of it is a bit of uh, kind of a, an urban legend. Apocryphal, yeah. yeah. So we are exploring the life and times of one of the jazz greats, uh, someone that I really enjoy, and I, I think you do as well, Noel. That is Louis Armstrong. Pops. 
Yes. Satch, Satchmo. Mm-hmm. And Louis Armstrong is known and loved the world over. He is one of those people you could rightly call an icon. That's right. Born in 1900, uh, August 4th, to be precise, in uh, New Orleans, Louis. Well, well. He lied about his age, though, too. Oh. He, he's, a, he's a very layered man. Very much so. Cloaked in mystery. But uh, one thing we do know is true. He grew up in a very tough neighborhood in New Orleans called the Battlefield. Um, his father left the family when he was just a little boy, and he kind of had to fend for himself, taking on jobs. Um, his mother apparently was only able to pay the bills through sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had kind of a wild upbringing in the court, sort of seedy underbelly of New Orleans, which mm-hmm. included dance clubs and uh, women of the evening and, of course, a lot of jazz musicians. Right, right. Uh, his first exposure to music in a learning environment was at the Fisk School for Boys when he was about six years old. But he ended up putting in his time when it came to listening to music at brothels and dance halls because he had a gig selling coal for a nickel per bucket Mm -hmm. in these, you know, in these houses of prostitution in an area called Storyville. And then as he was as he was making his rounds, delivering coal, he ran into these house musicians and he ran into something called spasm bands. Why? I don't know about spasm bands. Tell me more. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked, Noel. A spasm band is a musical group that plays Dixieland, traditional jazz, jug band, or skiffle music. Skiffle, like that's sort of what the Beatles were considered. They were part of the skiffle scene, apparently, in the UK. The skiffle was sort of like a, a folk pop kind of form of, of music, right? Yeah, nailed yeah. it, nailed it. Jazz, blues, folk, and uh, American folk, uh, known for some improvised instruments. So he, as as you said, began hanging out there, spending serious time in these halls, and it was pretty apparent early on that he had a gift, a calling, a compulsion to play music, to sing, and to play the horn. And he was taken under the wing of a Professor Peter Davis who taught Armstrong to play the cornet, which I believe is kind of a like a smaller trumpet? A trumpet is a little bit longer and more slender than a cornet, but in reality, they, they both play the same notes, and they sound more or less the same. I got you. So you. E- easy one-to-one transition from the cornet to a trumpet. If you want to get nerdy about it, Noel, of course the, I do. the difference is uh, mainly the way the tubing of the instrument flares. A cornet is more cone-shaped or conical than a trumpet. So is a cornet kind of considered more bite-sized, portable? I don't know. I don't see the point. Yeah, let us know. We are not uh, corneticians. No, it's true. Um, But I am fond of some hot jazz. Ah, yes, hot jazz, which in its day would be considered often as controversial, perhaps as the use of drugs. And Louis Armstrong's jazz career is worthy of not just an episode, but an entire podcast we could spend exploring this guy and exploring the personal struggles that he endured. I have some great uh, Louis Armstrong facts at the end of this. But before you and I go too far down the, the fanboy rabbit hole, should we set the scene for today's encounter? I think we should, Ben. I think we should. Please, do the honors. Today's episode centers around uh, an apocryphal tale. I believe you used that word earlier, Ben. Mm -hmm. Um, Apocryphal. 
tail. <laughs> not not good. It's fine. We're keeping it. We should keep um, it. Yeah. Where uh, so Louis Armstrong during the Cold War, he was made a U.S. ambassador, a goodwill a ambassador, ambassador. Excuse me. He was sent abroad, as were many African American uh, musicians and actors and writers. Um, I don't know to preach equality, I guess, during the era of integration? Well, yeah, so a goodwill ambassador isn't just relegated to this period in time. Like, Angelina Jolie is a goodwill ambassador. That's right, that's uh, right. They're a person who advocates for... They're a person who advocates typically for a country or maybe for a specific cause based on the fact that everyone knows who they are. That's right. So Louis Armstrong had this distinction straight from the U.S. State Department, who actually also paid for or or in part financed a tour that he did in Europe and Asia. And while there are a few versions of this story that sort of change where he was coming from, uh, the one common little thread is that Louis Armstrong was... At the airport, on uh, after getting off a plane from mm-hmm. from one of these trips, um, and he was led um, out of line into a customs line, which was unusual for right. him because, according to the story, as a goodwill ambassador, he was traveling to different areas of the world and never having to enter customs. They waved him on through. Sure. Um, But he was supposedly coming back from Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's the most consistent version of the story that I've read. And so, yeah, he's in this line and uh, he starts to sweat. Why is he sweating? He's not he's not sweating because of the because of the sound of a hot trumpet. Right. He's not sweating because of the heat in the airport. He is sweating because His trumpet case contains more than a beautiful musical instrument. He is, in our parlance today, riding dirty. Riding dirty, packing. Yeah, he has a gauge on him. Yep, he's gauged up. Yeah, he's got got his muggles uh, slang for marijuana at the time, his left-hand cigarettes in a pretty substantial amount. Yeah, three pounds. Right. That's what we hear with the story. And there's something important we want uh, want you to be aware of. As we're telling this story, you may hear us switching between different versions yeah. and different sources. Again, quite apocryphal, bordering on urban legend. Very hard to confirm or deny this story, but there are several versions in uh, Louis Armstrong biographies that are floating out there. So we'll, right. we'll, give, you, we'll give you the kind of the, the bare general bones. bare bones version. Yeah. So we got off the first-class flight, he's going into a customs line, and then who does he see but Richard Nixon, who was either on the way to becoming president or serving as a vice president. Tricky Dicky. Yep, himself. Uh, the uh, One of the men who would go on to become a huge advocate of what we call the drug war. Yes, the war on drugs. The war on drugs. Uh, and so in a panic and thinking quickly, uh, Louis Armstrong who is talking with Nixon, who turns out to be a huge fan well, of his. Well, well, the way I've read it, yeah. too, and there's a couple of versions, but it, Nixon sees Louie and comes running at him with open arms, thinking oh he's going to get a sweet press photo. Louis right? Armstrong. Satchmo, he says. He says, Satchmo. Satchmo. Why is I living brewery? What are you doing here? <laughs> so Louis Armstrong thinks this is a sign, and... Uh, Nixon's like, oh, you know, I'm a big fan. Is there anything I could do to help you? And he says, actually, uh, yes. You see, I'm I'm old and this trumpet is heavy. Do you think you could carry it for me? Give me a hand. That was an amazing Louis Armstrong impression. I feel like it would be racist 
for exactly. either of us yes. to attempt a it Louis Armstrong impression. Absolutely would. Yes. But Nixon we can do all day long. Yeah, we could do we could do our Muppet level Nixons back and forth. Write in and let us know if you want us to do a show where both of us are Richard Nixon. We're ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. Oh man, what if people write in? We'll do it if only if uh, the episode has nothing to do with Richard Nixon. That's fine. Okay. You're, you're agreed to this? Sure. All right. So uh, what, what happens when Armstrong asks him to give him a hand? Well, first of all, one version, one, one di- difference in various accounts mm-hmm. is whether he was carrying uh, one case or two cases. I think it would make the most sense for him to have been carrying two cases because yeah. three pounds of weed is not going to fit into a single trumpet case. Right. And then also asking someone to carry something for you when you have nothing else to carry Mm -hmm. seems shady. Again, several versions. The one that we're kind of talking about here is Nixon demands that he hand him his cases because he says a goodwill ambassador doesn't have to go through customs and the vice president of the United States will carry your suitcases, Satchmo. And then again... The story, depending on when you hear it, uh, describes a different point in Richard Nixon's career. But according to the story, according to the legend, what happens is with the maybe not the best of intentions because he clearly wanted the photo. The man who would later become Richard Nixon, a very anti-drug president, carries marijuana through customs for Louis Armstrong uh, hands hands it back to Louis Armstrong, who somehow must have been keeping a straight face through the whole thing. Yep. Uh, and later, Louis and some of his accompanists will swear by this story. But the thing is, depending on who you ask, the story differs in a multitude of ways, right? Uh, f- first off, Armstrong was only about 12 years older than Nixon. Because he he got his he would tell people he was born on August fourth, nineteen hundred, but it was more like nineteen oh one because it, it was a thirteen month or so difference. Yeah, Ben, and that um, particular account is credited. Uh, this is getting into murky territory here. It's Real some, someone named Miles. So Miles Davis. Oh sure. I don't know. It's hard to say. But yeah, uh, as it turns out, though, that keyboardist that's mentioned in that version of the story never played with Louis Armstrong. Right. So, yeah, there's chock full of holes that way. There's no record of any session where they played together. Uh, And so in that version, he, Armstrong, was not necessarily an ambassador. He was just on a goodwill tour. And he was going to, I, I think they were all on the same plane and they were headed to Moscow in this thing. So the the directions and the locations changed. That's right. And this is, in what, what year are we talking here? Uh, this particular, the Moscow story would date it to 1959. And that has its problems as well. Right. But in general, like if we're looking at a rough estimate for when this meeting was supposed to take place, it would have been late 50s, early 60s. Right. right. That's, yeah. yeah. That's about right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Goodwill Tours, I think they're, they're, part of it was about integration because a lot of the people they sent on these tours were African-American luminaries. Um, yeah. And it was meant, I think, to show, hey, we're... We're doing good work. Well, because one of the tenets of the Soviet ideology at the time was that communism provides much more equality than capitalism. So this is sort of a foray against that. Exactly. And so it's also tied to the Cold War as well, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely, at least ideologically. And... (laughs) 
So this this story continues through some other iterations, right? The the problem with the idea of the vice president of the U.S. taking a flight on official business to Moscow in 1959 is that there would be some sort of record of it, right? One would sure. Imagine. Although it is true that apparently in those days, the vice president would have taken commercial flights. Which I thought was fascinating. Big time. I had no idea. Well, yeah, what a kick in the pants, man. Seriously, man. It's the president hops on Air Force One and what What do you just fist bump and then say, all right, I got to go yeah, get in line. got to go <laughs> catch my flight. And customs, of course, was uh, a lot easier in those days. Everything. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah gosh. It, going to the airport today just stresses me out so much. It's not fun. Furthermore, there had only been three trips by jazz musicians to Russia by 1971, at least that are documented. Mm-hmm. And Louis Armstrong was not one of those okay. musicians. So I'm leaning towards, if this is, if this did happen, probably coming back from his... Uh, I've seen this version of the story enough times that mm-hmm. it seems to stick. Coming back from one of his tours in, in Asia, uh, in Japan, perhaps. Yeah. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! 
I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano. Huh? Oh. Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is one of those stories, though, where it's it's you want to believe it because it's just so so funny to think that Satchmo kind of put one over on Tricky Dick Nixon before he was even well known as being such a vehement uh, anti-drug force. You mm-hmm. know, um, but can we talk a little bit about Satchmo's uh, lifelong love of, of of the Mary Jane? Yeah, let's set it up with a clip. What do you say? Yeah, so this is a clip from uh, Louis Armstrong on. Um, some sort of television appearance. Looks like an interview show. At first, I thought it was like Steve Allen or something, mm. but the guy's nameplate says Mr. Daly, and I couldn't figure out what show it was. But uh, uh, from 1963, right? that's right. Yes. So let's give that a listen. Actually, I haven't had a chance to talk to <laughs> Mr. Armstrong before the show, but we had a great discussion about it. And I just asked one of the folks in the show, Bob Back, I said, "Well, what is what is Louis Armstrong going to do? How is he going to disguise his voice?" He's always oh, going way up. <laughs> <laughs> This is the way he sings his song. Is that the highest step you could get? Well, I don't know. I'm what I'm singing, you know. Actually, I'm afraid, though, that it was high for you, but it just wasn't high for the rest of them. That's all. It's this is worth looking up on YouTube because without being um, without being like experts in assessing someone's mental condition or their level of intoxication, Louis Armstrong looks like he is mildly amused by this guy or maybe smoked some pot before the show. Yeah, the gauge. The gauge. That's what he called it. Uh, in fact, this clip is called Pops Loves His Pot because mm-hmm. um, Pops was uh, another nickname. And apparently also Louis Armstrong called everybody else Pops, which is kind of neat. Yeah, I think that's cool. What if I started calling everybody by my own nickname? That'd be pretty presumptuous, also kind of badass. Well, he probably started it before it was his nickname and people gave him that nickname. That's a good point. That's a good point. But. You know, I, I don't think that's a way to get ahead in life. You got to be a Louis Armstrong for that to work. Did you get a sense that this uh, very white host is uh, being a little bit of a dick? You know, as we were watching a lot of these interviews, one thing that bothered me and that we talked a little bit about off air is that in this time, many of the interviews that he has, especially with white interviewers, uh, are exercises in condescension and they're consistently talking over him and talking yeah. too much it's strange yeah it's not cool it's gross because the thing like okay so um in the company of louis armstrong as um african-american artists who had crossover appeal you know to a largely white audience mm-hmm. were people like cab calloway sure and uh fats waller for example mm-hmm. Th- they they all kind of had in common that they came from this kind of underground scene, um, Louis Armstrong in New Orleans, like we talked about at the top of the show, but they managed to break through and be very successful with white audiences. But that also, they kind of had to like, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It felt like they had they had to play by 
their rules a little bit. Like, they had to sort of bow and scrape. A little and, bit. And while this may have given them um, success or maybe even to some degree uh, sanitized them or made them less dangerous to the very racist white community, it was contentious uh, and considered offensive in the black community in the States at the time. And this is something we know now deeply troubled many of these artists, Louis Armstrong included, because he would have he, he would have people in the movement, the civil rights movement, accuse him of being an Uncle Tom. The idea be that he was selling out his own identity for some measure right. of personal profit from people who would never respect him. Right. Yep. Which, which is which is a shame because once you see his his letters and his correspondence, he did have a public persona. For that's, sure. That's true. Everybody does. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about it. But he was an activist. Uh, he came to activism. In his letters, you can see him angry, ferociously angry and, and righteously fed up with the state of race relations in America, as well as the policies toward marijuana. His wife actually got arrested one time in 1954 for carrying marijuana that was allegedly his. Yeah, it was like something in the neighborhood of like 14 grams. Mm -hmm. It was like a, uh, a rolled up marijuana cigarette. Yeah, it was. I in sound a, like a grandpa. <laughs> a, a joint. It was, there it was in an eyeglass case. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of uh, roaches. Is what yeah. They call them a uh, half smoked uh, joint. And we have an excerpt because he wrote a letter about this. Uh, he almost got banned from Hawaii for life. Yeah, because that was this was on Waikiki. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is a letter to his then manager, who also I believe had uh, ties to the Al Capone crime syndicate. Yeah, yeah, that's a very strange part of it. Uh, so Joe Glasser, uh, it was his manager at the time, and because he was so incensed about uh, about this huge what he called rigamaroo uh regarding yeah i love that not rigamarole mind you rigamaroo rigamaroo because he was so angry about this he wrote to his manager joe and we won't read the whole letter but we have some choice excerpts here and one of our favorites was uh when he said straight out Mr. Glasser, you must see to it that I have special permission to smoke all the reefers that I want to when I want, or I will just have to put this horn down. That is all. That is all. He, he refers to uh, the gauge um, as more of a medicine than a dope, he says, but he's just fed up with the penalties surrounding it. Uh, and this was not his first run-in with the law. He's actually kind of, I don't know if credited is the right word, but as being, I've seen it written, as the first celebrity arrested for marijuana possession. Right. And he, you know, he did have his addictions. I, I believe he smoked three cigar-sized blunts right. a day. A day, yeah. And that's, that sounds like um, just a, a maintenance thing. You know, he never had a drinking problem. Yeah, he says he, he smoked the, the reefers um, instead because he said there was no hangover and, and you know, he had, a, he had a lot of reasons. He had a lot of feelings about this stuff. Right. And he, he was very open about about it in a way that you would not expect one to be. But I guess even in those days, if you get to a level of that kind of 
sacred status, you know, sure. as an American treasure. You could probably say what you want. I mean, this is like Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson level. Big time. And those are those are two uh, very prominent advocates of marijuana today. So that first run-in was in 1930, um, where he was hanging out with his drummer, a guy by the name of Vic Burton, outside the Cotton Club in Culver City, California. And lordy, 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 this quote is a delight. I'm going to read this uh, again, not uh, not going to do a, a Louis Armstrong voice. He says, Vic and I were blasting this joint, having lots of laughs and feeling good, enjoying each other's company. Just then, two big healthy dicks, that means detectives, came from behind a car nonchalantly and said to us, well, take the roach, boys. Yep. And that is <laughs> that is a true statement. But as we have seen, it did not discourage him. One, one bit, because one thing Louis Armstrong had was drive. That's true. Um, he did get put away for a handful of days. He could have gotten six months, um, but he and the drummer were, I think, fined a, a thousand dollars a piece in 1930, which is insane. Shall we inflation calculator that bad boy? Yes, let's. One thousand dollars in 1930 is worth in 2018. Approximately, may I have a drum roll, please, Casey? Oh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be crazy. $14,593.80. Damn! Whenever I read a fine of that sort, you know what always grinds my gears the most? It's the, it's the change. Yeah, come on, insult to injury. Just... Add 20 cents. Right. Why are you doing this? Yeah, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. Uh, but like you said, it, it did not diminish his love of the herb. Um, he this, A lot of these quotes are coming from excerpts from a biography that I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe um, there was one biography where he talked very openly about his, uh, his love of marijuana and you know his belief in marijuana law reform sure. uh, very openly. But this manager, that manager we talked about with, the, with the mob ties, um, had a lot of that stuff redacted, pulled out, because um, he thought it would be a bad look, I guess, for his client. Um, and Louis Arm- Armstrong swore that he would have an, a sequel released that only contained the stuff about um, his beloved Gage. Um, but, yeah, so he got out. Um, they, they pulled some strings, some of the club owners, I guess, in, in California and in, in the Los Angeles area. Got him out, and he returned to the bandstand uh, post-haste. And then he said when he was performing uh, on the bandstand, there's a quote where he says, I laughed real hard when several movie stars came up to the bandstand while we played a dance set and told me when they heard about me getting caught with marijuana, they thought marijuana was a chick. Woo boy, that really fractured me. (laughs) Yes, uh, this is strange because you'll hear a lot of marijuana advocates today and in more recent years describe Louis Armstrong as one of the first public policy advocates for marijuana. Sure. And granted, a lot of these outfits will be a little biased. Like you can read an article that takes this stent on a website called, guess what, Noel? Marijuana.com. Oh, wow. By <laughs> Someone had to snap up that URL. <laughs> right. And what we also found and what we would be remiss not to mention is that later in life, Armstrong developed significant lung problems, and he died before he even reached his 70th birthday. You can find this in uh, Louis Armstrong, Genius and Drugs by Stanton Peel, a PhD writing for Psychology Today. 
the marijuana use had to have something to do with oh, it. Oh, sure, right? of course. Yeah. No, 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 no question about it. And, and I, I want to be clear. We are certainly not advocating the use of marijuana. Uh, I just, this is just such an interesting story. And it's, it's obviously part of uh, the culture and especially when it comes to, you know, creative types and, uh, and musicians and clearly Louis Armstrong was a highly functional successful creative person uh, and this was something he chose to do and you can't deny that it may have had an impact on um, the music that he made as absolutely well, you know? yeah there was this idea that um, it opened up people's improvisational chops sure and Armstrong when he writes about it also mentions that there was a bit of escapism you know it, it made it easier to um, not feel like you lived in a country that was constantly kicking the crap out of you. Yeah. And uh, we <laughs> and we can say one of the reasons we're laughing so much about this is because uh, Louis Armstrong's personality shines through so vibrantly and at times comedically in the interviews, in the in his written works. And we didn't even mention the cartoonish, anti-marijuana propaganda that was around in the 20s and 30s, right? Well, a lot of it, uh, which was race-based, uh, primarily discriminating against people of color. So he's rebelling against an authoritarian effort, which in principle is admirable. Absolutely. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. Woo! 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And um, just to clarify, the, some of those quotes of, of Louis Armstrong talking about um, his experiences with uh, with weed um, were not from that original book, which came out in 1954, called Satchmo, My Life in New Orleans, because he did talk about it in those sessions, but his manager did have those pulled out and you cannot find them. But it was near the end of his life. In 1971, he sat down with two biographers, Max Jones and John Chilton, um, where he decided he was going to, quote, tell it like it was. And this comes from a fantastic article by Lisa Ruff from Leafly called Louis Armstrong and Cannabis, the jazz legend's lifelong love of the gauge. And when he sat down with these biographers, he admitted that he did eventually have to put down the the Mary Jane, right? Because the penalties were just too steep for him to deal with. You know, he talks about as it's a young man's game, you know, you're going to skirt the law and, and live life on the edge, but you get older and it's just it just stops being functional. Yeah. And he's still my favorite part about that quote is that he's still found a playful way to refer to the substance. You want to read this quote? It's it's a, it's a delight. Sure. It'd be an honor. Well, that was my life, and I don't feel ashamed at all. Mary Warner, honey, you sure was good, and I enjoyed you heap much, but the price got a little too high to pay. At first, you was a misdemeanor, but as the years rolled on, you lost your misdue and got meaner and meaner, jailhousely speaking. So bye-bye. I'll have to put you down, dearest. Beautiful. Beautiful, sad, all at once. Yeah. It's like Kurt Vonnegut it really with, is. Uh, kind of writing. Uh, there's there's one other thing I, I do want to point out. I thought you would enjoy this, Noel. It has little to do with it has little to do with marijuana, but a lot to do with Louis Armstrong. He was an amazing trumpet player, right? And he was a, an amazing singer. He was uh, a, a forthright advocate for marijuana. He was also a laxative advocate. I'm sorry? A laxative advocate. Okay. Yeah. Sort of like a like a John Harvey Kellogg kind of guy? Uh <laughs> kind of hopefully not not that into uh animas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was an advocate of losing weight through laxatives, which is tremendously unhealthy. Nobody do it. But he was such a proponent of it. People would ask him how he lost so much weight because his weight would fluctuate. Yeah. And he was very open about it. He was like, I used laxatives. I just pooped it all out. And he would name a brand of it. Uh, he even wrote a book called Lose Weight the Satchmo Way. Was he sponsored? Did he have a, was, was he sponsored by a, what's a popular laxative? X-Lax. <laughs> that's, a, that's like a legacy brand. Well, his initial favorite laxative was something called Pluto water. Oh, my God. 
and it was banned in 1971 because it contained lithium. Oh, boy. <laughs> so not only did it make you poop your brains out, it probably made you feel real mellow. Yes, he was so convinced that laxatives were a, a great curative thing that he gave bottles of them to his friends as presents, and he also... Uh, he, you know, he produced flyers that depicted him sitting on a toilet, smiling. Wow. He told the British family when he met them during the 1956 Great Britain tour uh, about how awesome laxatives were. True story. Mm-mm-mm. That's uh, that's pretty fascinating. Um, but I, I just I wanted to end on something a little little upbeat because it it is a shame that he was driven you know to to say goodbye to things that he loved it's true um and speaking of saying goodbye uh richard nixon himself whether or not he served as satchmo's drug mule he did have some very kind words to share on the day of his passing that was july 6th 1971 um he says mrs nixon and i share the sorrow of millions of americans at the death of louis armstrong one of the architects of an american art form a free and individual spirit and an artist of worldwide fame his great talents and magnificent spirit added richness and pleasure to all our lives and and to steal a line from this really cool um but but by far the most off the mark version of the story but it's animated in this series called drawn and recorded uh louis armstrong satchmo and nixon you can check out on spotify at the very end uh, it quotes this um this statement from nixon as well and ends by saying that richard nixon also added richness and pleasure to louis armstrong's life by smuggling his his gauge stash. <laughs> so. and, and this is just touching on a single anecdote from the strange and rich history of drugs and public policy in the United States. Uh, I, you know, we can also recommend, if you'd like to learn more about the history of marijuana specifically in the United States, uh, that you check out our friends over at Stuff You Should Know and check out the article from NPR, The Mysterious History of Marijuana, by Matt Thompson, uh, which uh, comes via Code Switch. That's a, that's a great show. Really, really good show. And that's all for today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. As always, thanks to Casey Pegram, our super producer. Uh, big thanks, maybe the first time we mentioned on the show, yep. to Christopher Hasiotis. Man, he is a mensch. This guy is our this this guy is a top-notch researcher who's been working with us, and we're hoping that one day we can cajole him uh, or you know sweet talk him into uh, appearing on the show he seemed game but yeah we're collaborating with him um, on research for new episodes uh, from here on out mm-hmm. which is really exciting so look for some really cool fun topics coming up one of which is coming up next where we talk about how a James Bond film essentially created a, a Dia de los Muertos tradition um parade, event, festival in a city where that wasn't a thing. So tune in and check it out. Yes, and in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Also drop by Ridiculous Historians. Uh, I don't know if it'll be up by the time this this comes out, but based on a previous episode, 
uh, one of you, dear listeners, started a poll, and the people have spoken, so I'm going to have to post that Opryland picture. Oh, cool! I hope it's not underwhelming. It's it's from far away. Ben, how could it be? You can mainly see a tiny a tiny boy in a, uh, a gigantic hat. Oh, well, but it'll no be spoilers. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. That, that's going to be really exciting. Um, did we thank Alex Williams, who composed our theme? You know what? Even if we did, let's thank him again. Right. He deserves it. Thanks, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Uh, and most importantly, thanks to you for listening to another episode of Ridiculous History. Can't wait to see you next time. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.